Good morning. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and we are in a series for Easter called For You. And the last uh, two weeks previous, we've been going through Luke, but the last two weeks, we've looked at this idea that, you know, for Jesus to be really important, he has to show up, like he has to be here. And that's what we talked about week one. Last week, we talked about the idea that he pursues you, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the parable uh, for the prodigal son. And this week, we're going to jump into Luke 22. If you want to jump there, we're going to be there primarily 47 through 62 with this idea that Jesus was abandoned for you. And you might go, what does that mean? Why does it matter? We're going to talk about that. Um, so here, here's my one thing that I want us to walk away from, that I want us to understand, is that he understands everything we are and have gone through. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of Easter, is it, it becomes not just something that Jesus did for the world, but it's something that he does for us, something we personally can experience, can receive, can, can feel, can enjoy. And this morning, we're going to delve into that. So what does it mean to have a God that understands you? Not, you know, just distance out, you know, in the cosmos and he did his little trick in the pot and poured it over and, and made this us. But what does it mean to have a God that literally understands us? And that's what we get to see all through the Gospels, that not just this distant figure, but this personal savior see one that has experienced pain and suffering one who understands rejection and loss and one that did all of those things for you like i don't know about you but sometimes during you know the gospels you're reading in it and you feel like jesus is Part of the story, but these things are happening to him, like people are betraying him, which we're going to talk about today. People are deserting him. Uh, people are turning him in. People are hating him. People are trying to stone him. People are trying to throw him off cliffs. People eventually crucify him. And if we're not careful, we'll look at it like it's something that is happening to Jesus instead of something that Jesus planned every single moment of it. Everything that is happening to Jesus happened when and how he wanted it to happen. I don't know if you remember this, but earlier on he was threatened and he was like, it's not my time. We talked about this, um, I think, two weeks ago when they, they pushed him up to the edge of the cliff to throw him off to his death. And he just like, you know, nah, 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 nah. not nah, my time, guys. I'm just, you know, I'm gonna, I don't know what happened. We can speculate, but it won't do us any good. But the truth is that all of those things happened because, well, multiple things. One, because it was the perfect plan that God had set in place at the beginning of time. And also the plan that he let us know throughout the Old Testament of how these things were going to happen. And they happened. And you'll see this in the word that it says these things happen to fulfill Scripture. So look at this. This is how Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 puts it. It says, for we do not have a high priest. I know that's a word that we don't really think about, but in their context, the high priest was the one in charge, the, the, the man, the person that they looked to. 
says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Who's grateful? And don't raise your hand. Remember our rule about, you know, it feels like I want you to raise your hand, but I don't. You're like, oh, weakness. Yeah, that's me. Pray for me at the end of service. But how grateful are you that you have a God, a high priest, who is able to sympathize with your weakness? I think that becomes the beauty of this Jesus that we know because we see in the gospel his compassion for people. His compassion for the lady with the issue of blood. He could have just kept going. He could have just given her healing. But he wanted so much more than just her physically being healed. He wanted to receive her back. He wanted to affirm her as a daughter. He wanted to bring back what she had been separated. I don't know if you remember the story, but there's also a funeral that he breaks up. I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, if I'm a father or a mother of a child and it's a funeral and, you know, I want this to happen to me. There's a widow. She has no one left. And there's a ch- her child. Her only son is is dead and in the casket and they're they're going to bury her child. And Jesus interrupts the funeral. It's the best interruption in a funeral ever. I don't know about you, but funeral interruptions are not appropriate. This one was. Jesus walks up, touches the side of the casket and says, get up. And he gets up and he talks. And Jesus connects him back to his mother. And he said, because he had compassion. You know, and and these things weren't written because it was a better story. Like it, it seemed better to have a God like that. It was written that way because we have a God who is like that. So let me read again 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. (laughs) I mean, really, I think we get in there. I don't think, I mean, we're going to. I'm not going to cheapen this experience for you. But we could end with that reality that this is the God that we have. And we're going to look at today things that he went through and understand that he went through those things for us so that he completely understands our situation, our rejection, our loneliness, how we feel at our darkest Moments, because at one of his darkest moments, too. Let's talk about two of his darkest moments. We're going to talk about one of them later, not today. One of his darkest moments, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying that, that to the Father, hey, if you could, if it's possible, could you remove this from me, but not my will, but yours. Okay, so he's like, hey, you know. But he doesn't, of course, you know, this is the plan. And and, and later on, on the cross, he literally cries out to the Father. This feeling, why why have you forsaken me? He feels what we feel. The Gospels are Jesus' declaration of who God is. 
and how much he cares for us and how far he is willing to go to make a way to him. That is the story. And, and why I want to share this and why I think this is important leading up to Easter is that sometimes, just like last week when we're talking about that he pursues us, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Because you think to yourself, if he got me, if he understood what I was going through, then he wouldn't have allowed it to happen to begin with. Right? Where, when you, if you've been in that deep, dark, despairing place, you think, if God is good, then why, if he's sympathetic, if he, he really cares for me, why would he allow this to happen? And I think that's one of the topics he might be carrying in apologetics class. Not something I'm going to completely go in today, but let's look at this. So what's happened since... You know, we were in uh, Luke 15 last week, we're in Luke 22, lots of different things have happened. But just in the beginning of Luke 22, these are some things that have happened, which is crazy. Because we're talking about every single one of his most loved, most cared for people in the world. His disciples who for three years he have cultivated and challenged and, and groomed and prepared for the moment that he is going, he's leading them into. The moment that he's going to do what he came here to do to set them in a place that they can take over the world. Literally. So since then, at the beginning, we're going to get to the abandonment. But before the abandonment happened, which I think this is hilarious, early on in chapter 22, there's this argument on who is the greatest. Later on in the chapter, they all run away after they said, oh, no, we will die with you. We will. We're not leaving you. You you ever been like with, you know, a group, more so guys, I don't know if girls think this way, but guys, you feel all like tough when you got your boys around you, but when they jet, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Never been in a fight. I don't, I'm not saying that I have. But who is the greatest? So they're arguing. They're going up to Jesus like, who, who's the greatest? And, you know, who, let us know, like, how we rank out, Jesus. Can you just tell us, like, who's your favorite? You know, especially of the three, because Jesus had three that he spent more time with. But which of those three is the greatest? And then after that, which I think is funny, then he foretells Peter's denial, which we're going to read through today. That's part of what we're talking about. And then he says to them that all these things must happen so that scripture can be fulfilled. And then he goes out to the the Mount of Olives to pray. And he he brings his people out there to pray. And he like he feels the tension of what's happening. They don't understand, even though he tells them this is where we're heading, even though before they even entered into Jerusalem, they knew that he was going to his death. I mean, they they knew, but they didn't know. And they're there praying on the Mount of Olives and Jesus goes away several times and comes back and finds them asleep. And there's this whole tension. Because Jesus feels the weight of what is coming. And what we're going to pick up here in verse 47 is the beginning of that. And before we get into the word, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask you um, to do what you do in and through your word. The power of this message is not in what I say, but in the truth behind, in, and around your word. So, Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us this morning, that we would have an understanding of how you are, how you relate to us, 
your children, how you call us into a relationship with you, and how you suffered these things for us. And so, Lord, we pray that the truth of your word would speak stronger than me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick up Luke 22, verse 47. It's going to be on the screen behind you. We're going to deal with two main parts here. One, we're going to deal with Judas's betrayal. And this is led up. Uh, Judas has already gone and made his deal, which is funny. That, you know, this is prophetically already been told how much Jesus is going to be betrayed for and how he had no clue collecting those 30 pieces of silver all of these things have already happened he's waiting for this moment in verse 47 to do his deed to earn his penance or not penance to to earn his money for this person he spent three years with can you imagine spending three years seeing jesus walk up to caskets and tell dead people to sit up and get out Over and over again, multiple people, people healed of blindness, people healed of leprosy, people uh, released of demons. I mean, seeing this firsthand and when it comes down to it, he's willing to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. And here's something I just want to I want to give you this. I think this is important and this is a message outside of what I'm going to share with you today. Something I felt like God probably eight, ten years ago told me in in and before planting this church. Jesus knew who Judas was before he picked him. Think about that for a minute. Like it wasn't just a shocker when Judas walked up and kissed him on the cheek. Oh, it was you. Jesus knew who Judas was the whole time. Catch this. Here's the power. And he treated... Judas, just like all the others. He loved Judas just like all the others. You want to know how I know that? It's because none of them knew it was Judas when Jesus told them one of you is going to betray. None of them knew it was this guy. I mean, because if Jesus would have treated him different, like kind of kept him as an outside because he's part of the prophetic word. We have to have this guy here so that he can fulfill scripture. Jesus loved Judas In spite of, and here's the freebie, the call of God for us as believers is to love Judas in spite of him being Judas. Fill in the blank for the name. And here's the crazy part, (laughs) is that in spite of what Judas did to Jesus, and this is what I felt like God spoke to me, There'll be people that will betray you. It happens. It has happened to most people in this room. Someone has done you wrong. The danger of the world would be start being hard-hearted, start putting people at a distance. The, The beauty of the gospel is to live in a constant state of forgiveness so that you don't miss the next Peter because of one Judas. Anyway, I'm just... Jump off that soapbox. 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. So Jesus is there in the garden. He's been praying. He's with his disciples. There came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. 
And he drew near to Jesus and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Like this is an important phrase here. Son of man is a a direct verbiage of him declaring the son of man was a, a reference to the Messiah, to the Christ. Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, so his disciples are like, it's going down. And so remember the ones who are like, who's the greatest? Some of them are going to try to prove that it's them for a minute. And he says, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Which is funny, he doesn't wait for him to answer. Because clearly a little bit later he says no. So one of them's like, shall we strike with the sword? The other one's swinging with the sword. And thank goodness he was a bad swordsman. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Look, in Matthew 26, 53, during this same picture, different gospel, there's this other thing that happens. He said, you know, shall, shall we fight? And he said, do in Matthew 26, 53, it says, do you think that I cannot appeal to the father? These are these little, lowly, scrawny disciples that are against this rabble that's coming to collect Jesus. He says, do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more uh, send me more than 12 legions of angels. I don't think they need even a legion. A legion is 5,000. Well, it's four to six. Let's say five. So 12 times five. I'm not going to do the math up here because, you know, I don't want to look like an idiot on record. It's a lot. He didn't even need one. I mean, one angel could have done them in. And he's saying, can I not send or appeal to the father? And the father would send me 12 Legions of 5,000, still trying to do it in my head and not going to do it. <laughs> How many? 60,000. That's a lot of people. That's a lot. Of, and they're angels. They're not even like scrub soldiers. They're not, you know, they're not even rangers or delta. I mean, they're angels. And so one of them, which we know it was Peter, pulled out his sword, swung with all his grace. I mean, he didn't even stick it in his, I don't know how it glanced off. Like hit his skull and it like ear popped off and he didn't stick his sword like in his shoulder. That You know, you think if you're like swinging like this and you cut somebody's ear off, you're going to do more damage than just an ear. You better stick with fishing, Peter. <laughs> Verse 51, and Jesus said, no more of this. Kind of like children. If you had let me answer when you said, shall we bring the sword? I would have said no. No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and club? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour. Remember all the other times when they were trying to do harm to Jesus? It is not time yet, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. 
And Jesus bargained for his disciples. It didn't happen in Luke, but he was like, hey, take me, leave them. There's another portion of Scripture where one of them is in his kind of linen garment, and one of the soldiers grabs a hold of his garment, and he just runs out of it naked, which I think is always hilarious. He was not staying. These are one of the guys that were like, who is the greatest? And someone grabs his cloak, and he's gone. But naked. And there, there Jesus is. He, he is now arrested. He's leading into the path that he is fully aware of. He is, there's nothing that is going to stop him from the cross. And so they take him to one of his first trials. And Peter follows kind of in the shadows and he, he goes uh, into the courtyard waiting to kind of hear what's going on. And this is where we pick up in verse 54. So Judas, the betrayer, who he knew was going to betray him the entire time, even said that it's better for the person that's going to do this not to be born. And he still chose this. And then verse 54, you've got Peter, one of his three, one of his closest confidants, that he's already told, hey, you are going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to die for you. Verse 54, and it says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking at him closely, said, This man was with him. And how the bells in Peter's brain didn't ring the first time that these words came out of his mouth in verse 57. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But, Peter said, man, I do not know what you were talking about. Another one of the um, parallel Gospels, he literally called down a curse on himself, like saying, no, no, this isn't true. And then, and this is crazy. Man, man, you don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, while the words were still coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Could you imagine? I mean, 
He's still unsure. I don't, I don't think fully the, the, the disciples understand what's going on, even though Jesus has clearly told them, I have to go to the cross. I will resurrect in three days, which we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. This is going to happen. I still don't think Peter and the rest of the disciples get it. And he's sitting there, even though Jesus earlier on in the night had told him, you are going to deny me three times. And of course, he rejects that idea. And one of his most loved, the closest confidant that Jesus had, these three guys that he took almost everywhere with him, one of those were within eyeshot of Jesus. And when that rooster crows, he, he realizes what he's just done. And he looks up and sees that Jesus, his master, his rabbi, his soon-to-be savior, heard it. And he, it rocked him. Can you, can you imagine? Have you, ever, have you ever said something that you wish you weren't planning someone else to hear it, but, but you said it loud enough and the other person heard it? Have you ever, have you ever made that eye contact? Anybody, don't raise your hand. Anybody been dumb enough to say something like that around people? I have over and over again. That's why. Proverbs ten nineteen. when words are many, sin will abound. And you, you just think, oh, no big deal. You know, I'm not saying it, but you you make you know, they heard you. you. You know, the pain that you just caused them because they heard your word. And could you imagine Peter, the one who left his father's business, followed a rabbi for three years, saw him do see the difference between he and Judas. He knew that he was the Christ. He didn't know what that meant and how that was going to work out, but he had already declared, you are the Christ. Judas had never called Jesus anything other than rabbi or teacher. There was no declaration of him being more than that, of course, because he sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And even though Jesus clearly knew that all of this was going to happen, could you imagine the pain because you, you, when you know something's going to happen and you prepare yourself for it, sometimes even the preparation of it will not prepare you for that moment when you look across the courtyard and you see one of your guys denying you. They say, I don't even know this guy. Isaiah 53.3 is a picture that you get to see that he knew that this was going to happen. He understood this. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. What does it matter? This is one of the things I think, you know, we talk about church stuff all the time and you hear verses and maybe you've been in church and, you know, what does it matter? Easter's coming up like, oh, yes, Jesus died. What, is, what does it matter if Jesus was abandoned? What, if it, what does it matter for these scriptures like Hebrews 4 that we have this high priest that is able to sympathize? What does it matter? 
It matters right now that you don't have a connection or the availability of a connection to a distant, uncaring, unloving God. That we have a picture, an image, a story arc of a God that completely understands your rejection. And I'm sure if we had time and if you were willing, we could go around this room and we could talk about how many times or even right now you're feeling of being abandoned, you feeling alone, you feeling completely rejected. I mean, it's safe to talk about middle school because middle school is so long ago, but live there. I know I've shared this a lot and I was a youth pastor for a while and um, but, you know, Beefer and Pillsbury Doughboy were nicknames that were quite often referred to me. Changed school twice and um, in middle school, and it was hard. I mean, I, I even remember, and this sounds really silly, but um, I didn't play soccer after, you know, like second or third grade. And in middle school, I bought a pair of the Adidas. Remember the indoor soccer shoes that were super cool in the 80s? When I was in middle school, um, but I didn't play soccer, and some kid came up to me and he called me a poser, uh, and I don't think I wore them to school again. I mean, and these are these are these are safe things because they're middle school and they're oh. I mean, there, there's our our life is going to be filled with moments that abandonment, rejection, and loneliness are so overwhelming that you don't know what you're going. To do. And here's the beauty of it. Here is why this matters, is because we have a God that right now, in the midst of that, gets it. He gets your pain. He gets what it feels like because he experienced it. I mean, can you imagine what he 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 knew them? He knit them together in their mother's womb. He knew their story from beginning to end. He knew what part they were going to play in it. Then he loved them so much that he entered into the world to do what we were unable to do on our own so that he could bring us, call us back to himself. And even knowing those things, every single one of his chosen ones, his disciples, ran away. And left. There was not a line at the tomb waiting for him to be resurrected. That's the God we have the opportunity to connect to. So Jesus understands everything we are and have gone through. That's what I said at the beginning. Hebrews 2.18, it says, For because he himself has suffered... When tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We have a God that is not unaware of what it feels like to go through what you're going through. And he's told us, hey, look, 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 you cannot. You cannot do yourself. I've come here so that you can know my love and so that my love would set you free so that you can have the life that I designed for you here. Remember this? What I read at the beginning of Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. 
For we do not have a high, high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. Let us with confidence. How can we have confidence? We can have confidence because we've just seen the imagery the reality, the true story of how Jesus... And this is just one example of what He's gone through. Not that He came for His people and every single one of them rejected Him. He came for the, the people of Israel and every... Not every single one of them, but the majority of them, the ones that He left in charge, the leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, almost every single one of those reject Him. Almost every single one of those were out there asking for Barabbas. Telling Pilate, let it be on us and our children. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Some of that need is now. I can guarantee you there's people in this room that are suffering more than you will ever know. Suffering with things that no one knows about, or very few, that are putting on their best face to be here right now. Because there's an illusion that is if I appear okay, things will be okay. And let me just tell you, that is not the case with Jesus. He doesn't want you to pretend to be okay. He wants you to go, this is who I'm trusting my life with. He wants you to understand that He is made a way for you to be fully connected to His mercy and grace. This is our truth. So two questions as we go into worship. How does this change your present? How does this reality of this being the Jesus that we serve, and we're, we're not even gotten into the good stuff next week. Well, it's not really good stuff. Next week is the, he was condemned for us, which is good for us. And Easter Sunday, which I want you to invite people to, not because it's Easter, but because we're going to focus on the one thing that makes our story of Jesus reality, which is the resurrection. The whole thing that makes this what it is. So how does this change your presence? And, this is something to think about, what if you walked out of here believing it? Literally, after serve, what have you walked out of here believing that there's nothing that you are going to, have gone through, are going through, that Christ won't understand, won't sympathize, won't give you help in a time of need? 
What if that was our reality? And so what I want us to do is read back to 16 as we go into worship. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. There is no throne place. There is no altar in here. This is a senior center. And a little bit later, there's going to be tables and chairs. And tomorrow, there are going to be people in here eating. But in this moment, the throne of grace is right here in the midst of this room. We can enter into the grace of God here in this place with confidence because we know that we have a Savior that not just did an action for us, but He understands. That is sitting at the Father's right hand right now, interceding for His children, present and future. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I cannot heal what you can. Lord, I cannot peer in and understand the hurt and rejection and sorrow and shame that people in this room are right now struggling with. I cannot, but you can. And the beauty of the text today that we get to see and understand that you have been through it. You understand and we have a high priest right now that is able to sympathize. We have you that is able to understand every single amount of shame, every single amount of rejection. You understand it all, and you call us to enter into your grace and mercy so that we can be freed from the shame, freed from this rejection, freed from all of the things that dominate our life. And that we can live in that place of joy and freedom that come with trusting and believing in you. So, Lord, as we worship, as we close with a song, I pray that in us you would do what we're unable to do, that you would bring life where there isn't. And I pray that you would allow us to see you, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to understand who you are and how you have made a way for us to experience you. And not just to experience you intellectually, but to experience you in every single way here. And so, Lord, as we worship, I pray that you would be honored with our words and our song. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.